So by the time I got to the high school assistant principal's office, the police were already there. When I got called out of class, I had a feeling of why. But I had no idea that they would have taken the whole thing seriously. So this is a story that comes from my high school years. I think I was a sophomore in high school. And it was one of those things that I kind of put beneath the surface, kind of repressed for a better word, a memory, a story, something that had happened. I mean, I remembered it, but I think the emotional impact of it, I kind of hid away for good reason, maybe, or just because it was too hard to deal with. So that's the story I'm going to tell today. And I'm also going to explain why that story is so important and what it means for creativity, what it meant for my creativity, and what it might mean for yours. So I'm Chris Valtimes, and this is the Hyper Memoir Podcast, which is about finding your creative voice, but I also mix in my stories, which is what I'm doing today, because I think it's relevant to the topic of creativity. By the way, thank you to everybody who has been giving me reviews, supporting me on socials, subscribing to the newsletter, all that stuff. You can find all that stuff in the show notes for this, so I'd really appreciate it. It helps the word get out helps me to make this thing bigger if it's meant to be, but otherwise going to keep recording it. Hope, hopefully you keep liking it. So thanks. So anyway, this story is one that comes from high school and it's funny because um, of course I remembered it. I remembered the events, but I think for a long time until recently, actually earlier this year when I did some work to kind of uncover it, I really avoided thinking about it. I really avoided thinking with, uh, sorry, sitting with the emotional impact of this whole story, because it really kind of hit me hard in the creativity. Like it was a gut punch, this whole story. And I didn't realize that until now. And so one of the things I've talked about on this podcast and in my newsletter is about uncovering these hidden blocks to creativity, or at least getting to the root of what's going on. And I really feel like this story goes to the root of what's gone on with me in the past in terms of not feeling like I can fully express myself creatively. And by pulling these stories to the surface and talking about them and sharing them, I feel like there's a new channel for creativity. So let me tell you the story. As I said, I was a sophomore in high school and it was kind of a weird time in my life. Uh, My adoptive dad had just left. He'd had some substance abuse issues and wasn't really going to be part of the family going forward. So let's just say that. So all of a sudden, the whole family was tossed into chaos. I lived in an adoptive family, and it was just kind of a mess from that point forward. It was already kind of tenuous and weird, but not having um, that support, not having that father there kind of threw me off. So one of the things that really felt good to me, one of the things that Help me to get through it as always and has always in my life is creativity, making stuff. So at that time, um, I had a friend, Paul, who was a really good friend throughout high school and middle school, and we'd make stuff together. We really got into computers at that time. So this was the early 90s, like 91, 92, when we were doing this stuff, when we were in high school, early high school. And we were into computers. We were into things like Photoshop when it still came on a floppy disk. Um, We just like making stuff. And one of the things that we made was a zine, and we called it The Morning Moron. And it was some stupid-ass, crazy, but fucking hilarious shit. So, Or at least it was hilarious to us. 
I'm looking at, I actually got the issues. I randomly found them in a storage unit I was cleaning out earlier this week, but I found issues that we had created and I have them on my desk right here. And it's kind of crazy stuff. I mean, it's, um, you know, I'd say a lot of people nowadays might say that a lot of the stuff in there is cringe. Maybe I'll share some of the contents. I'll probably share the cover in the newsletter just so you can see what I'm talking about. But it was a handmade zine that we made on our computer. I forget what we used. I think we used like Photoshop and I don't know if it was Illustrator or InDesign or something else. I don't even, InDesign wasn't even out then, but it was some software that we used to create this magazine on a Mac. So I think Paul had a Mac. Um, I wrote a lot of stuff and drew a lot of stuff and we'd scan it. Um, we put it on the Mac and there it was. So um, we really liked doing it. It was just basically pure unbridled adolescent creativity. I mean, the cover of it, uh, you know, it has like just dumb stuff. Like you want to get stoned, drink wet cement. Um, it taught, we have like little jokes about family values. This was the first George Bush year. We have a story in there about a love triangle between Ross Perot, George Bush, and Bill Clinton. So it's that kind of stuff, not super highbrow. Um, although I think later on we were trying to you know, make it more quote unquote intellectual as much as a group of 14 year olds and 15 year olds can at that point. Um, but it was over the top. And what I think it was, it was just cathartic for me. I remember at the time it was pure unbridled creativity. I really felt like there was no filter. I felt like I could say whatever I want. And sort of as a young teenager, of course, entering into those years, having that sense of agency and creativity and power, even the power of creation felt great. I just remember as we were making this, and I think we made two or three issues before we got shut down. And I'll explain what happened to get us shut down. I mean, that's what this whole episode is about. But I made two or three issues. And I just remember feeling like a fucking rock star. Not because it was super popular and we were actually selling it on our campus. We were selling it to other students, which was also awesome. I love, um, you know, selling things that people like enough to pay for. That's another story, but love it. Um, but I felt great. I just felt like I was fully expressing myself. I felt like I was saying what I wanted to say and it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. We were kind of, you know, it was kind of like anarchist stuff. It was just like being like, what can we say that's just so over the top? so crazy that, you know, we have fun, you know, we're having a good time. So that's what it was. And like I said, we used Illustrator and Photoshop, all that stuff. And we had, you know, we worked together on it. We, you know, we'd write stuff. I'd give stuff to Paul and he might scan it or I might lay something out. And we just, it was just coming together. Like we really didn't even talk about what we were putting in. It's just like, I'd write this article. He'd write this list of like, you know, famous last words or whatever, just stupid shit we could come up with. And we put it all together. And that's what we were doing. But then something happened. Oh, here's something else that says, sorry to break the flow there, but here's something else that says, once you pull the pin out of the grenade, he is no longer your friend. So just like random crap. Um, I'm just looking through it right now. But anyway, yeah, this was the magazine that we made. Um, it was, you know, pretty, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I'm flipping through it right now. But, um, you know, it's just like 14-year-old, 15-year-old stuff. And a lot of it doesn't really make sense. So, like I said, it's cringe. So I don't really feel like sharing a lot of it right now. But like I said, I might share some in the newsletter. But the point is, we made this newsletter, right, or this magazine. And something happened at the time 
that we were putting it out. And that was someone firebombed the administration building of our school or set fire to it or something like that. I think they found out later who did it. It was like two students who wanted to get rid of their records or something. I don't even think their records were on paper and I don't think they succeeded, but it was some dumbass thing like that. So there was two students who wanted to get rid of their records. So they tried to burn down the administration building. And I remember a good part of the building burnt down. Um, this was the administration building of our high school. And the administrators had to work from those portable buildings for a while. So being the reputable publication that we were, we decided we should cover the event. And one of the coverage of the events was, and I'm actually looking at the article right here that we wrote, was um, an open letter to whoever firebombed the A building. And so it was just like, why did you do it kind of things? Um, hopefully you had a reason. Hopefully it was uh, you know fun for you, that kind of stuff. And hopefully the reasons were good. Anyway, so we had a list of good things. You know, we liked the new bells that came after the firebomb happened. So I guess they changed the bell system and they sounded different. So we wrote that we liked that. Um, so stuff like that. But one thing we put in the bad column was that it missed the assistant principal. So yes, absolutely a questionable thing to say. Not something I'd say right now about anybody, but when you're a 14 year old, and kind of just, you know, doing what 14 and 15 year olds do. That's the kind of shit you say. So it happens. Anyway, that's what we wrote. And I think because we wrote about this event, it kind of got us on the administration's radar. Um, and I think if I recall correctly, and maybe he'll hear this and correct me, but uh, Paul had already had a sort of run in with this particular assistant principal. I think he was playing uh, Dr. Dre's chronic album when it came out in class or not in class, but like during lunch break or something. And she made him turn it off, something like that. So they'd already had words. And um, that was kind of the setup for this. So the building got firebombed. We were making our magazine. We decided to talk about it. And that didn't go over well. So here's what happened. We were sitting in class or I was sitting in class. I forget what class it was. And of course, a note comes in from the assistant principal's office. And I remember actually now that the note said, I want them now. And the now was underlined. So I want them now. So I'm like, crap, what is this? So, and I don't, yeah, I wasn't really a, a kid who got called the principal a lot. So don't really, didn't really know what it was. So anyway, I go, I get up, and I'm walking down to the administration building or the administration trailers where they had now been. And I see my friend, Paul, and he's walking there too. And I'm like, shit, I know what this is about. It's about what we wrote in our magazine. And what I didn't know as I was going to that building, walking to the principal's office, I figured it was just a routine thing. What I actually thought was that they saw the magazine. We're just going to tell us they didn't like it to tone it down or whatever, or that we couldn't sell it on campus, which we were. Um, either way, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. So I, I opened the door to the administration building um, to where the principal is, and I see two police officers standing behind her, and also our parents. And I didn't expect that. I mean, that was kind of a big deal. Um, I was like, holy shit, holy fuck, what is this? And we talked to the police, like the police talked to us, and actually for their part, they were pretty cool. I think they just had a few questions about, you know, were you guys involved um, in this firebombing? Like, why are you talking about it? And we're like, no, we just wanted to 
you know, have our say, you know, we, we have the right to talk about things that happened. It was a big thing that happened in our school. So of course we're going to talk about it. Um, they left pretty convinced that, um, all was well. I mean, they didn't bring us in or anything like that. So they knew that we weren't involved, which we weren't. Um, but for me, it was kind of this thing because, um, you know, obviously it can be a bit rough to deal with police, but for me, especially like I had, you know, when I was a child, when I was in foster care and, you know, before I was adopted, I had some interesting run-ins with police, which maybe I'll talk about in the future. I've talked about it in my book, but, um, you know, interacting with police had been a little bit traumatic in the past. So even though these guys were okay, they were just doing their job. For me, I just remember being like, holy fucking shit, what's going to happen now? It was not great. Like the feeling sucked. And I just remember it like going like deep into my nervous system, like, hmm, what's going to happen? So I had no idea. But it wasn't over. So the police left and they didn't actually really care about our magazine. Like they just wanted to know, like, were you connected with this in any way? No, we weren't. Okay, bye. We're going to go to our next thing. And they found the people later. But anyway, they didn't care about the magazine, but the assistant principal did. And I think obviously what got her mad is maybe her run in with Paul before, but what really got her mad was that we said that the firebombing missed her. And instead of kind of being like, okay, you numbskulls, like, don't say shit like that. I think she had it out for us. Like, so she decided, um, you know, to really give us a hard time. Um, you know, she had her parents in there. Uh, and I remember she had a whole copy of our esteemed journal, which she had circled a bunch of stuff in red. And it was actually the craziest shit that she circled in red. So I was like, yeah, that, that was, that was nuts. That was nuts. That was nuts. Yeah, absolutely. That was fucking crazy that we said that. Um, and it just felt weird. Like it just felt like this thing of like my creativity being picked apart by people who aren't, who aren't in the audience for it, who aren't meant to understand it who are hostile to it. And I'd never really experienced that to that level, like direct hostility from an authority figure against creativity. So that really hurt. And like I said, kind of putting it into context, this is right when my adoptive parents split. So it really kicked out the chair from underneath me, I guess you could say. And I was already kind of going through this traumatic experience and this just added weight to it. So I got in huge trouble and I remember feeling like that it was really unfair. My adoptive mom was like, you can't hang out with Paul anymore. You guys can't do shit anymore. Obviously we still did. I mean, that's what's going to happen. You can't really ban kids from hanging out. But the point is, um, you know, it became a big deal. Um, it really kind of alienated me more from her. I already kind of felt that way, but even more, like it was just kind of this thing, but it also, you know, it made me feel like I had no allies. Right. So I felt like there was nobody to support my creativity. Uh, my birth mother obviously had been out of the picture for a while. Um, my adoptive dad wasn't there. I feel like he's the one who would have appreciated it at the time, but I really had no one to support me. So I felt like I was alone. And the lesson that I got, the lesson that I took in as a young person was it's not safe to create. If you create, people are going to fucking be on your ass. And that was this, that was the experience. That's what I took in. That might not have been the truth. That might not have been what was intended for them to feel. Maybe they were like, oh, yeah, we want you to be creative just within the lines. Um, but it was, like I said, gut punch to creativity. So regardless of what, any, what anybody intended, 
that was the message that my mind and my nervous system took in. And it was even worse because if I recall correctly, Paul's parents actually stood up for him on, fe- on, freedom, of sque- on freedom of speech grounds. So I don't know if they liked what we were making. I think they thought it was kind of weird, but I think they were more open to the idea that, okay, these guys are being creative. Let them have their voice. Let them have their say. And I think as far as the school administration went, they were against them. They were like, this is freedom of speech. Um, You can disagree with what they're saying. You can think it's sick or crazy or weird, but back off. And I think, so it was kind of crazy to see that Paul had that support that I didn't. So that was kind of weird. And so I just felt like I was completely alone and didn't feel great. Didn't feel great, especially as someone who, um, you know, had already gone through what I had gone through, like with adoption and foster care and stuff like that. And as I said at the beginning, this, you know, creating this was really kind of an escape or a catharsis. So like I said, a lot of it is kind of cringe and juvenile and, you know, a little bit stupid. But at the time, I just remember feeling really good. Like this was what I wanted to do. And I even say to people sometimes, if we hadn't been stopped or if I had pushed through this might even be something that I would have done. I mean, it was kind of like a proto onion. I don't know if the onion was out. I didn't know about it then, but it was like, you know, satirical magazine, you know, who knows where it would have gone. And so I remember for a long time, actually afterwards thinking, you know, always kind of mourning the loss of this morning moron where I always wondered what it could have been. I wondered where we could have gone with it, what I could have learned from it. And, but also feeling like, I had to second guess myself. So having that experience, now it put this creative block where anytime I created something, like I said, I felt like I had to hold back a little bit. I felt like I had to moderate my voice or double check or have this kind of almost double consciousness about my creativity. So that didn't, that didn't feel great. And that's something that persisted through my life. And it's like I said, only recently have I begun to uncover this or have I thought about this episode in any depth? Because on the one hand, what I would look at it like is it wasn't that big a deal. You know, you got yelled at in the principal's office, there were police there, big deal, right? But I think when we look at things like that, that actually turns into some sort of repression. And as I've said before, when we repress things, when we push things into the shadow, that's where they can get power. That's where they can affect us unconsciously and subconsciously. And I think that's where this story has lived for me for years. Um, decades, actually, where I'd always have this second guessing. I'd always have this, like, instead of just creating and creating what I wanted with unbridled creativity, I would always be sort of thinking, like, is there someone who's going to take offense at this? Is there somebody more powerful than me who's going to stop me? And maybe even on another level, like, it's what brought me to become a lawyer. So I'm a lawyer who works with creatives. And I, as I think about that, um, a lot of my work is about protecting the rights of creatives to be creative, to do what they want. And obviously a big part of that is stuff like the First Amendment, but that's not all of it. But really it's about people having voice. I mean, even this podcast is about people having voice. So it's in a way, even though it hurt me, it did drive this other vein of creativity that I'm on right now. Um, I just don't like the idea of people not being as creative as they possibly can, because I didn't like that for myself. I knew that experience. I knew what it felt like. So I didn't want anybody else to go through that experience. But in reflecting, in reflecting about it, in reflecting about this in thinking about this more, I realized that, you know, avoiding the feelings about it. So even if I thought about it, I would avoid the feelings. It really gave them power. 
It really made it so that it determined how I looked at creativity or how I looked at my own creativity um, when I didn't acknowledge how I felt about this. And I think the way that a lot of times we're trained to not acknowledge how we feel about something is by saying, oh, it wasn't that big a deal or you should just get over it or whatever. And that sounds good in theory and it sounds tough, like just get over it, but it's not the correct answer. It'll just push things down. And I also had regret. I had a lot of regret. And I remember for years feeling like I wish I had stood up for myself more. I wish I had done something. I wish I had kept making this. I wish I had told them to go fuck themselves and continued making it. So it made me feel like a coward. It made me, made me feel like I somehow didn't live up to my values and principles. So it was a lot of emotion. And I think now to sort of psychoanalyze myself a little bit, maybe in armchair analysis here, by the way, um, it's led to things like in my adult life, like procrastination or other avoidance tactics. And I think all of that comes from fear. I think when we talk about procrastination, it's not procrastination, it's fear. You're afraid that if you put something out into the world, it's not going to be received well. You're afraid that when you do something, other people are going to judge you unfairly. And yes, people are going to judge you unfairly. That's just the nature of being creative. Um, but I think the work becomes to determine, well, how much does that judgment mean? When I think about my life now at age 46 versus my life at age 14, when I was 14, I was, of course, a child. So at the mercy of the people around me, whether that's adoptive parents or school administrators or other people who could make my life kind of shitty if they chose to. Not a great scenario and uh, one where my power wasn't what it, what it would become. But now as a lawyer, as a father, as a grown man, that same situation wouldn't fly. You know, if somebody told me like, hey, you can't do this, I'd fight them tooth and nail and probably win um, easily. So it's not you know, it's interesting. You carry around these stories from a younger period. And it's like that thing where you think you have these boundaries because at one point those boundaries were real and they really mattered. But if you don't explore them or examine them, then you continue to be bound by them. And maybe in high school, you know, to kind of give myself some compassion and maybe hopefully you do the same thing. If you have a story like this or anything like this, it was the right thing. You know, maybe if I had continued, maybe it would have caused more trouble. Maybe if I had continued making this, it would have, you know, set me in the wrong direction. Maybe something would have happened. Maybe someone else would have been offended. Who knows? Or, you know, they would have punished me further. I don't even know. Like, not like it was bad what they did, but the point is anything could have happened. At least in my 14-year-old brain, that's the way it felt. Um, and that's the way it felt for a long time. And again, unexamined, that's the kind of um, conclusion that I lived with. And so it's important to bring these stories back up. And I think if I have a lesson from this episode, from this story that I'd like to share with you, it's about going back and examining the stories and not just looking at the facts, but also looking at the emotions and the feelings and the emotional reaction to things. That's something that I will always repeat when we're talking about working on things like creativity, there's always going to be an emotional level. And you can't just look at it like an analysis, like, okay, they were wrong, I was right, therefore I've addressed the issue. No, you got to look at how you felt. You have to look at, you know, for me, the 
you know, kind of disorientation or the loneliness or the loss that I felt as a teenager when I couldn't do this anymore, when I stopped doing this. And we did stop doing it by the way, after this incident, you know, there was a whole other bunch of other stuff that happened that made it not possible for us to continue. So we didn't, but there was even a time, I think when we were like kind of towards the end of high school and we tried to do it again, but it just wasn't there. Like it just didn't feel the same. It didn't feel um, unbridled like it did before because I had already embedded that feeling of second guessing myself all the time. So I think I'll stop there. That's what I wanted to talk about. And like I said, I share my stories, not just for the sake of sharing my stories, but maybe it prompts something in you. Maybe you have a similar story or you have something that um, maybe it was more drastic than what I went through. Maybe it was less drastic than what I went through. It's not really about measuring what's worse or what's better, but I almost feel like everybody who has any kind of creative blockage or has difficulty being as creative as they'd like to be has a story like this. Or not. I mean, this is just my theory. You tell me. Anyway, thanks for giving me the space to share. Really appreciate it. Really wanted to tell this story. It's just one of many. And uh, thanks again for listening to the Hyper Memoir podcast. That's a great place that for myself, where I can actually share things about myself and be creative and hopefully help you do the same. I think that the point of this podcast isn't really just for me to share my stories, although that's what it is now. Um, I want to see more people sharing their stories. I want to see more people putting things out there from a personal perspective. First person perspective, I think is really powerful. It's great to talk about things in the abstract, but I really think there's a lot of power in sharing your personal experience and what you learned from it, what you gained from it, how you felt about it. So that's what this podcast is about. So I'm Chris Valtimes. Thank you for listening. I'll be back again next week and we'll go from there. But if you could leave a review or a rating on iTunes or not iTunes, I guess Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. I don't know where else that is. That would be cool. You can also subscribe to the newsletter. I'm going to post a little bit of other stuff in there just about this episode, but about stuff in general. So um, if you like what I'm talking about or it's interesting to you, love to have you there. So see you next time.